Psalm chapter 121. We finished going through the book of Acts earlier this year, as many of you will remember. Uh, And that led me into wanting to see what the churches looked like. Uh, It's about, like I said, about 30 years later after Acts closed out. It was about 30 years later that John got the revelation from Christ uh, to write those letters to those seven churches. And we wrapped that up last week. Uh, And based on some of the things that I saw in those letters to the church, I thought that what would be a a good next book for us to study uh, is the book of Ecclesiastes. And so we're going to talk about that in August. So that'll be our next book study. I like to do Old Testament, New Testament because I find that, you know, a lot of people don't know things about the Old Testament because a lot of people don't preach from the Old Testament. And so uh, when I was looking through those letters to the seven churches, I saw uh, several of those churches that their eyes had been blinded because of the, the wealth that the world had offered them. Uh, and Ecclesiastes speaks very directly to, uh, from a man who had everything that money could possibly buy and saw that it was all vanity. And so that's where we're going to go next. Uh, but that'll begin in August. What we're going to do for the next at least three weeks in July, I don't know, I'm not going to be here on the 17th um, because that'll be the, hopefully, that'll be the weekend after Sophia's surgery. And so we're going to be with family trying to figure out how to deal with Four, four kids that are running around and one kid that can't move at all. Uh, so, But for those three weeks that I am here, we're going to do uh, a little bit more in our summer in the Psalms. And um, we de- we've done that for the last two years. Uh, and I thought that this year would be a, a good break because you take a little break with the, the continuity of long books and things like that. So we'll, we'll take a look at some of these Psalms. Uh, The first one is going to be Psalm 121, and Psalm 121 is one of 15 psalms that are known as the Psalms of Ascent, right? It's the idea uh, of getting back home and dwelling with God. In the Old Testament, uh, there was a time when God exiled all the people of Israel because they had rebelled against Him. And because of that rebellion, God kicked them out of the promised land uh, and uh, waited 70 years before he brought them back. And in the process of being kicked out, the temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was in shambles. And so being able to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple was a big deal. And so after that happened, when people would go up to Jerusalem, they would sing the songs of ascent or the psalms of ascent. And they're called the, the Psalms or the Songs of Ascent because Jerusalem is located on a hill. You know, when Jesus is talking about a city on a hill can't be hidden, he's thinking about Jerusalem. And there's, uh, that's the reason why he says that specifically about being on the hill. And so as people would go up, there were three annual feasts that people would make a pilgrimage up to Jerusalem for. And as they would go up there to worship at the temple and eat good food and hang out with cool people, uh, they would be going up to Jerusalem no matter where they were. And so they would sing the songs of of ascent. As we're going up this hill, we're going to sing these praises to the Lord. These psalms are all uh, confessional about who God is how they live in light of who God is, and how they would speak to the world in which they live. 
Alright, so it would confess things about God, it would confess things about themselves, and these psalms would also confess things about the world that they live in. And the reason why I wanted to start this morning with Psalm 121 is because of a lot of the fear and the negativity that I see pervading the culture. Alright, that if you turn on the television, if you look on social media, you see a whole lot of negativity. Yeah? I mean, it's constantly pushed. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle that you would seat yourself on politically. Both sides are doom and gloom. Both sides don't seem to have any place for hope in anything. And so I thought that because of the current situation that we find ourselves in, and I don't know, uh, I am 40 years old, and I cannot think of a time in my 40 years that there has been more of a sense of doom about our culture in my lifetime. Now, you know, a good part of that, I wasn't old enough to think about these things. And so maybe I'm wrong. You know, I was growing up at the tail end of the Cuban Missile Crisis. So maybe there was a lot of doom and gloom going on there. I, I just wasn't old enough to know. But I cannot think of a time in, in the 40 years that I've been alive that, you know, Things seem to be on the precipice of disaster. Everything is, is going you know, completely into chaos and oh no, the world is ending and it's their fault. No, it's their fault. And everything is just spiraling out of control. And so what do we do uh, when, when it seems like life is out of control? What do we do when it seems when we're afraid? We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what it's going to look like for us in the next year, five years, ten years. What do we do? Well, Psalm 121 is going to help us understand what we should do. Whether we are spiritually mature enough to do it is one thing, but it is going to tell us what we should do. So let's take a look at Psalm 121 together this morning. You're in luck. It's eight verses. And even I couldn't make these eight verses much longer than they are, right? There's two main ideas that we're going to see in this, and they're pretty straightforward. So you might get out a little bit early today. I wouldn't count on it, but it might happen. We'll give it a shot. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes towards the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and going both now and forever. So let me ask. This is a legitimate question. Obviously, we're not going to go back and forth with dialogue here, but I want you to think for just a second. When trouble comes, where do you look for help? Give you a second just to, con to think about it. Consider it. When trouble comes, where do you go for help? What's your first instinct? <laughs> right? Our tendency is often to look in the wrong places for help. Right? Our first instinct might be to go to the government. Right? I need help. What do I do? Right? I call 911. I call you know, a congressman, a senator, somebody to help me with whatever this problem is that I have, I want to speak to somebody about this and I want to see their manager, right? Second place is often our community, 
Right? When we hit trouble, we want the people around us to rally around us. We want to see the leaders in our community doing the things that will help us get over the problem, whatever it may be. It, we may look to our family. Right? Everybody's got that person in their family that's the rock, the one that they go to in times of trouble. Who, who is that for you? And is that the first place you go? Or do you go to your own power, your own strength, your own will? Do you look at your bank account and say, I have a problem, will this fix it? Is that the first place you go? And if none of this works, right? If, uh, many times when we, we find that the government is letting us down, we're finding out that our family can't fix the problem, our, we're not strong enough in our own power, in our own will, we don't have the finances in the bank to take care of whatever the problem is, we will often try to find ways to escape the problem. Right? If we can't fix the problem, we try to run away from the problem. And you might have some of those that are extreme. Right? You might go to alcohol to try to drink the problem away. I've known people that go to sex to try to sleep the problem away. I've seen people who go on drugs to kind of like drift through life and make the problem just fade away. And you're like, you know, a lot of times when you mention that, you're like, whew, I don't do any of those things. I'm good. Right? This doesn't apply to me at all. I guarantee you I've got something that applies to you. Some less extreme ways of escaping. Do you ever veg out in front of the TV? It's been a long day. It's a long week, long year. And so all I want to do when I get home is kick my feet up, throw the recliner back, watch TV, veg out for three or four hours, and not have to deal with life anymore. Right? Maybe it's video games. Right? I, I grew up playing video games. My son is a, an addict. I mean, that's the only conversation you're going to have with him. I could easily see him using video games as he gets older as a, an escape from life, from problems. What about social media? Right? You want to you wanna see the, the funny reels, the TikTok stuff. You, know, you want to look at other people's pretty flowers. Or I think we've gotten away from taking pictures of our dinner, uh, which is good. Um, that used to be a thing. Right? And you just scroll through and say, well, that person's eating a burger, that person's eating steak. But hours, you can spend hours just looking at nonsense online. Look at how other people are living their life, wishing that you had their life when in reality all they're showing you is the best parts of their life. They've got the same problems that they're trying to escape and they're looking for you to post good stuff so that they can run away from their problems. What about shopping? Can y'all shop your problems away? Like you think, you know... <laughs> Next box from Amazon, you know, like we got it on a first name basis with that dude at our house, right? Running off to Target, whatever, you know, like maybe we shop our problems away because we all, we, we get a little bit of a dopamine hit when something new shows up and maybe we can escape our problems by spending a little bit of our money. Um, whatever it takes, anything to take us away from the realities of life. But the Bible is clear that there is only one place where we should look for help and only one place where we will consistently find that help when we find ourselves in need. Where does the psalmist say that we should find that help? Look at verses 1 and 2 again. He says, I lift my eyes towards the mountains. Where will my help come from? So as they're making their way up this hill, right? There it is. There's Jerusalem, right? We're going up there to worship. Where will our help come from? Number, verse 2, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This should be the first place that we go every time that we have any kind of a problem whatsoever. It should be the first place that we go on a daily basis whether there's a problem or not. The psalmist says, 
That he looks to the Lord to help with his problems, to help with his trouble. Why? Well, he says there that the Lord is the maker of heaven and earth. And if you remember back to Genesis, how did he make the heavens and the earth? Simply by speaking. Right? So what problem could you possibly have that would be too big for the creator of the universe that just simply spoke creation into being? Like your hardest problem is no more difficult for the Lord than to simply say words. And your problem is taken care of just like that. So why would we look to other things for, to, to take our problems to rather than first and foremost taking it before the Lord? Right? God is omnipotent, meaning that He is all-powerful. There is nothing outside of His ability except for doing something that goes against His will, His nature. He can't do that, but as far as everything else is concerned, there is nothing that our God cannot do. He is also omniscient. Omniscient means that He is all-knowing. So there is nothing that he doesn't know. Your deepest thought, your deepest desire, God knows that. Right? Remember that thing that you did that time that you didn't tell anybody about? God knows that. Right? Remember that thing that you did to help someone else and didn't tell anybody because you don't want your right hand to know what your left hand is doing? God knows about that. He knows everything. He knows, he knows how if he answers this prayer that you have prayed, he knows how it would go if he answered that prayer for you. And he knows that's not the best way for this to go in your life. And so maybe he says no to what appears to be a good prayer, a good call for help. If I help him, he'll never learn this. God knows it all because he is omniscient. And he's also omnipresent. There is nowhere in this world that we can go that w where we can hide from God. There's no deep place in the ocean. There's no far reaches into the universe. There is nowhere we can go in this universe that God is not already there. And so why would we try to find anywhere else to lay our problems down other than at the throne of the God who loves us so much that He sent His Son to die on our behalf so that we could restore our relationship with Him? The psalmist says, I take my problems, I take my desires, I take my need for help to the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And then in verses 3 through 8, it talks about how God is our protector. Verse 3, he says, 3 and 4, he says, He will not allow your foot to slip, your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. So imagine... You're on your way up to Jerusalem, right? You're following a winding path up a steep hill, and one of your concerns is that you might slip off of that path and fall down the hill. Well, the psalmist is sure that God is watching over us, and he is making sure that we will not fall off his path for our lives. Now, I'll put his path in that extra oomph because we have to clarify that it's His path that God wants us to be on. right? We fall off the paths that we set for ourselves all the time. Because we are not smart people. We are prone to sin. We are prone to wander. And we don't know that this thing isn't 
good for us. We think it might be a good idea. Maybe that's a good investment. Maybe I should do that with my time, my talent, my treasure. And then we come to find out after we're done, because we're not omniscient, that it was a bad idea. And so God will make sure that we do not trip off of his path for our lives. Right? Everything that we strive for that is outside of God's kingdom and especially outside of His will for our lives is absolutely empty. Right? We gain nothing from it. It's like trying to carry water in a bucket with a thousand holes in it. Right? No matter how hard we try, that water is going to escape. And in the same way, if we put our hope in anything or anyone other than God, if we try to find, uh, put that effort into something that has no eternal value, what's going to end up happening is that bucket that we're trying to carry all of our stuff from our path in, and we're going to find it empty at the end of our lives. God is the one that will hold our feet to his path. He will make sure that we follow him and the things that we need. And if we remember passages like Romans 8, where it talks about all things working together for the good of those who love him, then everything that comes at us is not necessarily a good thing. Sometimes it's a terrible thing, but God uses that to keep us on his path. And that path is leading to our righteousness. It's leading to us looking more and more like Jesus every single day. And you're like, well, what if I can't? Be mindful of that on my own. Well, you don't need to worry about that because God is mindful of it for you. To make this point clear, the psalmist points out that the Lord doesn't sleep. Now, we come to the end of ourselves every single day. We've got no more energy to give and we have to recharge every single day. But the Lord doesn't need that. And think about this. Think about the person right now. Picture in your mind, because I asked, who do you go to when you have the biggest need in your life, and you probably came up with a certain face. Who's the person that you trust the most in your entire life? There's someone that probably came to your mind. And if you had to make one phone call to that person, the most important person in your life, can you guarantee without a shadow of a doubt that that person would be awake to take the call? All right, what if you're calling at 3.30 in the morning, on a Thursday morning, can you guarantee without a shadow of a doubt that the person will awake to hear the call and will take the call? Can you guarantee that? All right, this is not something that we have to be concerned about when it comes to the Lord. The Lord does not sleep. He is constantly and consistently awake. He is constantly and consistently aware. He is constantly and consistently looking after his people. And he puts this up in contrast to all these other little g gods that many of the people in these areas would worship. These gods were always asleep. Like sometimes you would have to tiptoe through your life so that you didn't awaken one of these little g gods and make them angry because they were asleep. Why were they asleep? Because we created them in our image. It's very convenient to worship a God that's just like you. He was constantly awake. He was constantly aware. Constantly looking after His people. And it says here in verses 5 and 6 that He offers His protection to His people. Verse 5 says, The Lord protects you. 
The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. So why, why here does the psalmist mention that God is on the right side of his people? Right? Like often if we are told to sit down at God's right hand, it is the position of power. Right? That's where Jesus sat after all was accomplished. He sat down at the Father's right hand because that is a position of power. But this says that God is at our right hand. Right? So back when this was written, soldiers would carry their shields in their left hand. Right? So this means that the right side of their body was free you know, to, to wield the sword, but it was also exposed and vulnerable to attack. Right? So there, again, there's a sword at hand, but it doesn't protect the same way that the shield does because it is meant to attack, not to defend. And so because of this, the soldiers would want an ally, someone that they trusted with their life, standing on their right hand to be able to provide protection for that side of their body. And so they would stand close to one another. You would want someone that you trusted at your right hand. And so this is why the psalmist believes it's important to have God's shelter on his right side. Right? If God is on that side of his body, then God is protecting him from danger that he cannot protect himself from. And it, says, it mentions here about not being struck by the, moon, the sun or the moon. And it made me think about the extreme temperatures in the desert. Right? In the sun, we have extreme heat. And in the, in the, when the sun goes down, it's extremely cold. In the desert. And so it says here that the shelter of God, that protection that He is offering to us by being at our right side, it says here that there isn't a time of the day that we are lacking His protection. So He's holding up these two extreme opposites the extreme hot of the, the, the summer sun, right? And then the extreme cold of the night in the desert. He's saying there's not one moment of the day. Whether the sun is shining or whether the moon is out, there's not one moment of the day that you are deprived of God's protection. And the psalmist then closes out his psalm by expanding the idea of God's protection. In verses 7 and 8, the, psalm, the psalmist says, The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and going, both now and forever. So the Lord protects us from harm. It says, no harm shall come to you. And you may think, well, Chris, believe it or not, I've been harmed in my life. And so it says that it protects from all harm. Well, you have no idea because of the nature of our ability to understand life. We have no idea all that God has protected us from. All we get to experience is what he allows in our life. And again, if you go to Romans 8, all that He allows in our life is meant for our good. Even if it hurts. Even if it's the most dark night of the soul that you will ever experience. Everything that God allows into your life is put there to make you look more like Jesus. I saw a comic strip once. The guy's walking and he gets hit with a rock. And he starts railing at God. He's like, oh God, why would you let this happen? Again, Lord, again with the rock. 
And then the comic strip pans back out and you see Jesus standing there like this and he's getting pelted with rocks. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry, did I let one get through? God watches over us and the only thing that he allows through into our life is something that we need to experience either to make us more like Jesus or to help someone else that may not have the spiritual maturity to walk through that alone. Nothing that God gives us is wasted. Right? The idea here is that both now and forever, God is protecting us from harm. We have this beautiful promise that one day this protection will no longer be needed. One day, when Christ returns, all things will be remade. There will be no more sin, there will be no more death, no more sickness, no more sadness. And, and forevermore, we will be completely and utterly protected from harm now and forever. There will be nothing to fear. There will be no need for God to stand at our right side to protect us from the world because He will have protected us from everything forever. So when we think about the stuff that we experience, let's think about it in ultimate terms. Yes, that hurt. Yes, that was not pleasant. Yes, that buried me in grief. But I have this promise that one day it will not be like this. And in that day, I will look just like Jesus. Now, I was thinking about this as we were out of town this past weekend. Um, Chloe had gone to, it's called Runner's Camp. Uh, it's down in Raleigh. It's at the church that where Kelly and I met. And each year they do a camp where they do a track and field type vacation Bible school, more or less. Uh, so they have all these events that you get to participate in, you get to learn how to throw a javelin, you get to learn how to do discus, all that kind of stuff. And Chloe uh, goes down there every single year, um, and we went to pick her up on Friday. And yay her, she actually got first place in discus and came in second in shot put, so my girl's strong. Um, <laughs> very proud of her for that, so I just wanted to brag on her for a second. Uh, but as we were down there, we, had a, we, we spent the night, we were gonna come back on, on Saturday, um, but as I'm staying up late, because I'm a, I'm a night owl, that's just kind of how I roll, um, Sophia started crying. It's the first time that she had been away from her home to spend the night in six months. And she woke up in a strange bed, in a strange place, and she was afraid. And I heard her cry. And I went in and I said, I said, baby daddy's right here. I said, I'm right on the other side of that door. I said, you don't have to be afraid because daddy's got you. And then she cried like three more times and I came in and finally told her to stop and knock it off. <laughs> I gotta get some sleep, okay? Um, but the reality is that just like my precious little girl, there are going to be times when life comes at us hard. There are going to be times when we instinctually are afraid and we need to know where to go and what, who to look at. And the psalmist tells us that we need to go 
to the maker of heaven and earth, who is our father, who is our daddy, who is always there. He doesn't even have to come in the room because he's already there. Where do you go when you are afraid? Who do you pursue when you need help? What's your first instinct? The psalmist tells us that it needs to be the Heavenly Father that loves you more than anything in this world. Loves you enough to sacrifice Jesus so that you could be restored in relationship with Him. Loves you so much that He was willing to send His Son to be abused, spit upon, punched in the face, have His beard plucked out, nailed to a cross, stabbed in the chest, and take His wrath for you. If He loves you that much, why would you run to anyone else with your problems? Why would you run to anyone else to fix your issues? And guys, I don't know what the condition of our culture has you thinking about. But do not be afraid. Right? It says in the book of Esther that we were made for a time such as this. Right? Esther's people were being oppressed and persecuted. And she goes in before the king. She could have died just for walking in the room without an audience. And her uncle says, you were made for a time such as this. And here we are, guys. God put us here sovereignly, time and place where we are, so that people could find him through us. Right? We studied that in the book of Acts, chapter 17. So just be mindful of that as you go through this life. What are you afraid of? None of this is outside of God's control. Right? It might not be pleasant. But God is there to protect us and do us no harm. Think about that as you leave this place. Offer that protection and hope to people as you go. And remember it as, as you walk out of here. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so thankful that we have the promise of your protection. That when we come to you with a problem, it's as insignificant to you as creating the world. But help us to understand, Lord, that sometimes your path is a difficult one for us. Sometimes walking the path that you lay out for us will lead through hardship and struggle and strife. But help us to remember that you are always right there at our right hand protecting us from everything that we don't need to experience for whatever you have for us in this life. Lord, no matter what this culture does, no matter what happens to this country in the future, Lord, help us to remember that you are the God who made it all, and you are with us. No matter what that looks like for us, help us to rest in that and be strong in that. Lord, it's in your son's precious name that I pray. Amen.